Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., today, yes. I get to introduce you to an unlikely friend. Yes. It is Governor Bill Haslam of Tennessee. Oh, my gosh. Governor Haslam left office a month or so ago. Yeah. He did eight years, term limits, had him leaving office. I think he's in New Zealand now, <laughs> uh, getting a well-deserved vacation. Yeah. And the governorship has been taken over by Bill Lee, uh-huh. a fantastic... Fantastic new governor, but he scaled up a $200 million air conditioner company, and we felt like he wanted to serve at a higher level, and he ran for governor as the most humble, soft-spoken guy, <laughs> and he got elected. So I'm excited about the leadership here in Tennessee, but Bill Haslam became a friend accidentally. Yeah. Betsy and I moved into a house in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I'd never lived here, but Betsy and I weren't married yet. Before Betsy and I got married, we bought this house, and then I went and lived with her parents until the wedding, yeah, and then yeah. we moved in. <laughs> And the neighbor, after we moved in, said, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. You know, we we're just talking. He said, by the way, sometimes you'll see Secret Service in the neighborhood, <laughs> and they're, they're following a guy running. And I go, well, that's weird, a guy yeah. running in front of Secret Service. Like, yeah. is he running from Secret Service? Yeah. And I said, why? And he said, well, this is the governor. The governor's mansion is just, you know, three blocks that way. I thought, that's interesting. Yeah, and I just put it in the back of my brain. I didn't figure out where the governor's mansion yeah. was, one of these big houses over it's here. It's on the other side of the tracks. On the other side, of, yeah. literally on the other side <laughs> yeah. of the tracks. A friend called, and this friend does tours of Israel, and he really helps people understand Israeli-Palestinian relationships. He worked mm-hmm. with Condoleezza Rice back in the Bush administration. He said, Don, I'm coming to town. I want to give a lecture at your house on current state going on in Israel and Palestine. Can you put together some VIPs, some influencers? Well, I just moved to Nashville, right? Yeah. So I... Called, you know, some music friends and, you know, anybody knew who could get the word out about this. And then I thought, wait, well, the governor lives around the corner. I pulled a Bob Goff. I just emailed the governor's office and said, can the governor come to my house? Because there's a guy coming to talk about Israel. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I didn't think anything of it. Todd came and we opened up our house and we had about 20 or 30 people there. The governor of Tennessee walks (laughs) into our home. Unannounced. Like Uh state troopers outside. He just walks in. Yeah. And I lean over to Betsy and I say, will you please Google who the governor of Tennessee is? I don't know this man's name. I didn't know his name. <laughs> that was how I met Bill Haslam. Oh, my gosh. And um, it turned into a friendship. He actually called. We didn't even talk much that day. He yeah. could only stay for a little bit, and then he left. He called and said, hey, I'm sorry we didn't get to talk. I really enjoyed the lecture. In fact, we were about to leave for Israel, and that trip got canceled. That's one of the reasons I wanted to be there. But why don't you come up to the mansion? And we'll have a drink and we'll talk. And I'm like, you are the governor of Tennessee. If this isn't like, you know, Tennessee hospitality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually became convinced, like, there's 100 people moving to Nashville every day. Part of me was like, I think he's doing this with all of them. Yeah. Like, welcome to town. I'm the governor. Would you like some coffee? Yes. Here are my favorite restaurants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of anyway, I want to talk about politics because yeah. I'm a geek that way. Yeah. And he wanted to talk about theology. He wanted to talk about the books I'd written and those kinds yeah. of things. And he ultimately has a pastor's heart. But we became friends. And then he got introduced to StoryBrand and really liked the framework and actually used some of the framework to message his final two years in office. Yeah. He came up with a Tennessee Will Lead campaign you know, to protect some of the legislation that he'd been passing. And he is one of the most humble, inspirational, soft-spoken. JJ, when you meet really powerful people, yeah. do you ever wonder, what is their superpower? Do you actually find yourself trying to think in those categories? Well, (laughs) it's funny. The closest thing that I would say I have to that kind of experience is meeting the quote unquote president, Jed Bartlett, when I was (laughs) on the West Wing. And so when Martin Sheen walked in the room and he came over. I heard he's fascinating to me. He's amazing. He's 
about my height, which is kind of unbelievable, but a little bit shorter than me. Wow, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, know that. I know. And he like walked in the room and he filled the room. Like we were in a warehouse and he filled the room when he walked in and just came over and started talking. I was an extra on West Wing. Nobody. And he came over and started talking to all of us, invited us into lunch, which normally doesn't happen on set with the stars. Yeah. And I was sitting there going, what? I really did What go, is his superpower? What is his superpower? What made him? And he actually, I've heard much of a story of him starting kind of a very humble beginning. He started as an extra, really appreciates yeah. everybody. And I know that faith for him is a huge part of it. And yeah, he he's just a big is, Jesus guy. Mm-hmm, and he worked really hard and he started in very humble beginnings yeah. and just treats people with, I think, kindness and graciousness. And he has this confidence that fills a room. I would remember you, would his superpower that, be confidence or would it be... I would say confidence. There's a big piece of that. You can just feel it, that he is solid in who he is. And I think part of that is faith and I think part of that is family and part of that is just work ethic and all yeah. these things. But he has a quiet confidence when he walks in the room that is endearing because we're the same height <laughs> and huh. I knew he had started as an extra and all this stuff. I've been drawn to him and kind of watched what he's done with his career. And of course I loved West Wing more than, yeah. that was like my yeah, favorite show. Me too. But there have been people like that. Like you and I have talked about obviously Bob Goff, like the kind of person yeah. who, what's his superpower that he can just call up somebody and say, you, you know, know what, for do? me, Bob's superpower would be, it's this unbelievable, undying, unyielding optimism. Yes. Yep. He is unable to see yeah. negativity almost at all. Yeah. You know, he, he's not naive. He sees it. Yeah. And then he says, okay, there's 2% chance this could be redeemed here. Yeah. Let's go for it. Yeah. And he shoots toward the light. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable. I would say Governor Haslam, he has two. Mm-hmm. He has two superpowers, in my opinion. And this is just my opinion. You know, we're not talking about skill sets. Yeah. Got skill sets all over the place. But two things that you just go, okay, that's very, very uncommon. Yeah. One is integrity. A lot mm-hmm. of people do have integrity. But mm-hmm. his superpower is integrity. He just doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't tell lies. Yeah. He doesn't. He just doesn't, and he doesn't care if doing so will benefit him. Yeah. The superpower being integrity, that's great, but what that gets the state of Tennessee is trust. Yeah. And all business relationships are based on trust. Yes. And so he goes and he meets business leaders, and everybody goes, you know, we could go to that state, and they've got a lot of benefits, but I trust what that guy says is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons he built the state. And then the next one is wisdom. Mm. He just makes one good decision after another. Yeah. The man is not going to fly the plane into a mountain. Yeah. He's just not going to do it. I said to Betsy, that is a young man with old man wisdom. Mm. You know, he's a young man yeah. and he's got old man wisdom. Like, yeah. like this is his third life. Yeah. The day before we met, he'd granted clemency to Centoya Brown. Yes. It's a really very painful story of a woman who at 16 years old, She's basically abducted. She was a victim of human trafficking. She was sold to a John Mm -hmm. for $150, and she ended up killing that man at 16 years old. And she got two consecutive life sentences for it, and he granted her clemency 10 years later. There was a documentary made about her. A lot of people got involved in the campaign. Governor makes these decisions extremely carefully. Yeah. Because you can imagine the danger of putting somebody who's oh, dangerous yeah. out on the street. He did yeah. an enormous amount of research on her specifically, and he granted her clemency. And there was just a, a sort of spiritual thing in the room as yeah. we were talking that you could tell his heart was just full. Yeah. Because he was able to make a decision, I think, on God's behalf toward a young woman who was a true victim, who just operated in a circumstance that was really dire. Yeah. I didn't want to talk to him about that. But that is the context in which yeah. we talked to him. I wanted to talk to him about leadership. And I didn't want to talk to him about it because it was really fresh. 
Yeah. And I didn't want to be the guy to put words in his mouth that he would have to live <laughs> yeah. forever, right? Yeah. You need to sit and think about what you're going to say as it relates to that. But I wanted to talk about the pressure of making those kinds of decisions. Yeah. And he goes into the sort of staff that you have to have, the sort of guiding principles, all this basic kind of stuff about leadership. But here's a man who probably never thought his life was going to go this direction. Yeah. And truthfully, if you sit down with him, he didn't really want it to. Yeah. He wanted to be a pastor hmm. of a church. And he ended up governor of the state of Tennessee. <laughs> and the first time he told me that, I thought, that's probably something a politician says. And then after I got to know him, I'm like, like no, no, he actually <laughs> geeks out on, yeah. and he surrounds himself by a bunch of pastors. Anyway, his name is Bill Haslam, if you've never heard of him. You've probably never heard of him because he's humble. He doesn't promote himself very much, which drives me crazy. I wish he would just hire me. I'd promote him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't even have to pay me. I'll yeah. just promote you. But he knows a lot about leadership. And I'm very honored to introduce you to one of my favorite people on the planet, Governor Bill Haslam. Here's our conversation that we had right outside his office in the state capitol. Governor, thanks for joining us. It is really fun to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Well, so have we. You've got less than two weeks left. Eleven days. Eleven days. <laughs> and I know you're extremely busy, so thanks for taking a little no, bit of time. We're talking to about 40,000, 50,000 leaders. They're all running businesses. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, serving as governor for eight years, how has your understanding of the role of leader and leadership changed in those eight years? It's been interesting because as governor, I'm running a 40,000 employee organization that's yeah. doing everything from building roads to educating four-year-olds, educating PhDs, helping folks with mental health issues. We have a network of prisons. We have National Guard troops deployed around the world. We do a lot of different things. So you have that big service organization, if yeah. you will. But you also have all the other things. You have a legislature that's here and your need to work with them. You have to represent the state in a lot of uh, events, you know, within the state and then recruiting businesses all over the world. So my point in all that is this. If you'd have told me before, okay, you're going to lead this $37 billion, 40,000 employee organization, but you're going to rarely see the people that run big departments. Or, you know, you're going to talk to them every maybe every two to three weeks, I'd say that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But it's the way this is designed. And so what it's really reinforced for me is two things about leadership. Number one, it is all about who you hire. <laughs> everything, it's like that's one, two, three, four, five, and everything else comes after that. Uh, but really, then, it's one, two, three, four, five. I mean, I just really in, in think that. It's a, number one, because as a good leader, you're going to have less time to spend with your key folks than you would like to. I think that's just yeah. part of the night, no matter what you do, okay? In this job, it's really true. So you better have people that you trust, number one. But then number two, you need to have people that do have the right values that are communicating what you would want to communicate and you trust them to do that. And one of the lessons I've learned in this is don't ever hire somebody that you wouldn't want to work for yourself. Oh, that's in other words, a great In other words, yeah. if you think, you know, all this, are great. They're, they're a little bit of a tough butt and blah, blah, blah. And they rub people wrong every now and then, but they get great results. If you have to say, but I wouldn't work for them, then don't ask, you know, a thousand other people to work for them. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Going back eight years, what do you wish you would have known then that you figured out along the way? Government's interesting. In some ways, it's like business. You've got to hire great people. You've right. got to make the numbers work and all that. But here's what's really different about government is just because you're the governor, you're the CEO, you don't get to make all the decisions. This is still, it's a democracy and you have a legislature and you have constitutional officers. I tell people in government, there's a thousand points of no. So there's, maybe you're running a big department for it and I say, yeah, let's do that. And you think, okay, good, we're clear to go. Well, not necessarily in government. And so you have to have people that are comfortable with 
a diffuse power structure and to understand it's not, if I get that one person to say, yes, we're good to go, but it's actually not a bad thing to have. It can slow everything down and make it bureaucratic, but it can also make it to where you realize, I need to have an idea that I can sell. Yeah. I remember doing a little stint in the, the Obama administration, and we was just on a think tank, and we gave him a bunch of stuff we wanted to do. Yeah. And I remember being on a book tour and having to sit on three-hour conference calls. Yeah. We were talking literally about the grammar right. in the text right. that we were going to send to the president. I just thought, I cannot believe how slowly this machine works, and it's yeah. a wonder anything ever gets done. But then at the end of the year, there's a millions of dollars being allotted to help prisoners reunite with their kids right. when they get out of, right. you know, amazing huge things happen. How was it for you transitioning, and I know you were mayor before you were mm-hmm. governor, how was it transitioning from the private sector, where you can actually make things happen quickly, yeah. now to this diffuse sort of style so, of leadership? Was that frustrating for you? And then what were the tips and strategies that you learned to actually yeah. make things happen? So one of the things you have to learn in government, and there's some good and bad in it, is that the process matters almost as much as the result. And to folks like you and I have been out of business, entrepreneurial mindset, that feels like heresy. What do you mean the process matters as much as the result? But it does. It's a public entity, okay? And it's the state of Tennessee is not a business that I own. There's 6.6 million Tennesseans, and they temporarily hired me as the CEO, Uh, And so getting that process right to where people feel like, I understand why you're doing what you're doing, there's buy-in around it, really means the results are better in the long term. So it's it's taught me patience. It's taught me to say, I want to just say, here's the right answer, go. But I've learned that won't necessarily get you the best results over the long term, and that's been a hard one for me. It sounds like you've just sort of had to have some values and some disciplines and these kinds of things and point the state in a certain direction, but ultimately not control all of it. Is that part yeah, of it? Well, you're, you're sort of, you don't know what this is going to come out of the ground, well, but it's going to be good. Yeah, I say all that because I have said, you know, hey, there's a thousand points of no, you know, all the things I said. But then the good leader balances that with saying, but here's where we want to go and here's what we're going to do. Yeah. And so I've heard it described as you want to be soft on the outside and hard on the inside in the sense of like, here's what I know we want to do. I know we want to do this with education. We want to provide you know, free college education for everybody in Tennessee, whatever the idea is. But you have to realize it's a process to get there and you have to be flexible with some of the methods. Whereas in business, you could say, we're going to do this five steps and then we're going to go do it. Your focus and your goal doesn't, isn't any less. It's just you have to be a little more process-oriented and a little bit more flexible than you might like to be. Probably the difference between a shovel and an excavator in the well sense said. that something's going to take a lot more time, there's a lot more bureaucracy, but you're moving a lot more dirt it at is, the end of the day. It is really well said. And then with that, you got to remember that the bureaucracy is real and don't let it win. Yeah, that would be very tough for any entrepreneur, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. How do you unify a group of people who not only disagree, but are incentivized to disagree? How do you put those people in a room and say, yeah. we're just going to have to make some progress on this? Yeah, that's a really good question because we're, we're kind of seeing that large with the country right now. A little now. bit, yeah. Uh, it depends. Are those folks that you have, you know, you're the boss? If they are, then I'd say one of the traits you want to teach them is, in any of those disagreements is that the other fellow might be right. Hmm. And you start with that. Humility. That's what I was going to come back to is I've also gotten to where I want to hire people that have humility. I've hired a lot of people who were really competent. They were great performers, but they had egos out the roof. And mm. long term, it just never works. Yeah. They're kind of mavericks and stallions and all that's great, but at some point in time, it crashes. 
Yeah, I've always likened that to the NFL draft in terms of often the number one, two, three picks who you really want. Everybody, they often don't work out. It's that second-round draft pick quarterback who was too short that somehow – and I'm always looking for that guy. I think you're right. And, yeah. of course, the, when you find the formula for finding that guy, let me know. <laughs> no, there's uh, no formula yeah, for that. I, There's not. But, but I, I do think it is about finding those folks with, you know, their heart's in the right place, that realize the story's not about them but do realize that there's a product to deliver. There's a mission that we're about that's a good mission. We'll be back with the rest of my interview with Governor Haslam in just a moment. Listen, if you want one quick shot of inspiration and pragmatic advice about your marketing, I've got a great resource for you. Go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. That's 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You can use the number or spell it out. doesn't matter. It goes to the same place. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. There are three about five-minute videos that will walk you through very tangible, practical things that you need to do to make your marketing work better. If you've not gone yet, we get about 100 people a day going. I want you to go. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. We will revolutionize your marketing in three approximately five-minute videos. Go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You've done a few things as governor that have been significant, a lot of them, but on the economy, you've, I think, almost quadrupled or tripled at least the rainy day fund. The state has a smaller unemployment rate mm -hmm. than the national average, which is incredible right now. As we record this, it's 3.9%. You brought a lot of jobs to this state. What does a governor do to bring jobs to a state? I think the very first thing a governor does, and I think a lot of your listeners and the leaders that you talk to will appreciate this, is we understand that governors don't create jobs. Mm. Jobs get created when people put capital at risk, period. Okay, that's the way a new job gets created. You decide I'm gonna hire somebody. You decide I'm gonna build something. Then jobs get created. They don't get created by folks like me. Now, hopefully we can set the conditions and environment. And the first thing I'd say is we set an environment where we understand that. Jobs get created when people put capital at risk. Uh, that's number one. Number two, we realize you know, capital's gonna go where it's going to get its best return. Mm -hmm. In the day, you might decide, well, I can build this business in Nashville or I can build it a lot of different places. We've worked hard to have it be where you choose here because we're got, we have a low tax structure, we have reasonable business regulations, and we're going to provide the workforce that you need. A lot of people don't think about it, but education goes into that because if you don't have an educated workforce, such and such companies not moving here. You know, we, when I came in to this job eight years ago, we were recruiting companies. Every conversation was about what incentive are you going to give us? You know, what piece of ground are you going to give us? What tax breaks? And companies still want those. But having said that, the conversations today are 90% dominated by will you have the workforce we need because the level of training is so much different. The need is so much different than it used to be. And it's changing very quickly. What used to take 10 years now is changing every it, six months. If we're a fairly big state for advanced manufacturing, a lot of autos, a lot of other, high, the group that you call advanced manufacturing, you'd be shocked if you and I went and spent a week going around the state, you'd say, wow, the technology is a lot more complex and there's a lot fewer workers needed. Yeah. So that means that the workers that are going to be needed have to be a lot uh, better trained. Yeah, we talked to the folks at CarMax, interestingly, and yeah. they said their problem is recruiting mechanics. And I said, what specifically is the problem? They said, you have to understand, working on an F-150 is like working on a fighter jet 10 years ago. Yeah. It's just that advanced. There's, you can't find these people. There's more technology in that F-150 than the rocket that got us to the moon <laughs> you know, back in 40 years ago. <laughs> it's pretty true. On education, one of the 
really hallmark pieces of legislation or programs that you created here in Tennessee is Tennessee Promise. Right. You believed that, or at least I would think, started with the core belief that everybody really deserves an opportunity at yeah. least to get an you education. First of all, tell us what Tennessee Promise is, and then tell me why was that one so close to your heart? Tennessee Promise is basically anybody in the state that has graduated from high school and doesn't have a degree can go get a two-year community college or technical school degree absolutely free. And it was really important for three reasons. I come from a family that's done really well, but you know what, a lot of people don't know, my, my dad was the first one in his family to go to college, and he only got to go to college because he got a football scholarship. It radically changed his life, so I've seen the difference that further education can make. Number two, our country, forget your politics, has a big issue around income inequality. We just yeah. do, that's what the data tells you, okay? So the question is, what are we gonna do? And I think the biggest thing is about what you just said, providing more equal opportunity. We're not gonna get equal results, but if we give more people the chance to, well, I didn't think I could go to college. My family's not that kind of family to actually go to college. Right. Then I think you're going to address a lot of those things. And then the third is what we just talked about. We're going to compete for jobs with other states and other countries. We better have the best trained workforce. Well, that's not going to happen. The majority of people finish high school and say, thanks, I'm done. Now, that works for some, but not for many. Just as a guy who you know, grew up dirt poor yeah. in line for government cheese, yeah. we were indirectly told college isn't for you. Right. And to have had that program in the state of Texas when I was growing up would have been huge. I'm grateful to have made it out of that, as lucky as I did, but um, certainly a lot of help. I love that program. Yeah. And not only that, but even my barber the other day, yeah. was, without knowing that I was going to yeah. talk to you, was talking about how his daughter is going to be able to go to college yeah. based on this yeah. promise that you made. The other piece we've done that is for adults. So the woman who works at the Tennessee, re the governor's residence, been on the housekeeping staff for years and years. She's 50 plus, and she decided, I'm going to go back and take advantage of that. She's going back to school now. Started out struggling. I don't know if I, I haven't been to school in you know forty something years. Yeah. And she told me the other morning, you know, first semester she made two A's and a B, and she's <laughs> going to get a degree. We'll probably lose her. She probably won't stay on the housekeeping <laughs> That's staff. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 she said, I want to get a business degree. Yeah. She's going to do it. That's beautiful. Oh gosh, she just loved seeing that. Yeah. And you know, there's definitely an importance to meeting people where they are in terms of they're really hurting and their government being a safety net. But I'm a big believer that what they need more is an opportunity. Yeah. Just give me an opportunity. Yeah. Put me, in, put me in the game. A, a trampoline, not a safety net. Yeah. One last question. You and I have talked before, and you said, Don, one of the most meaningful things that anybody says to me as I travel around as governor is that we're praying for you. Right. And when you told me that, I sensed a little sentiment in there. Yeah. As you uh, have done eight years, it's been a very, very successful eight years by almost any measure. You're well-liked by both Democrats and Republicans. You're leaving the state in great shape. What's the role of your faith and the role of so many people praying for you? What does that mean yeah, to you and Chrissy? The, the praying piece is, I mean, people say that to you all the time. Oh, sure. we're praying for I mean, right, But I can't tell how many people would then grab my arm and go, no, no, like we're really praying for you. Yeah. And I've heard that, you know, all over the state, all over the country for that matter. To me, that's encouraging. I'm somebody I actually believe prayer's part of the effective work of God. Yeah. Okay. But also, I wouldn't be in this job. Truth is, I would have... Christian, I say, we felt called to run. And then Chris would remind me, and, and God will decide if you're called to serve by whether you win the election or not. <laughs> yeah. But we felt like this was the best way to, what's the Beekner quote, where, you know, your heart meets the world's needs. We, I just felt like this was the best way I could serve. And it's felt like ministry to me more than anything. This isn't a Christian government. We're not right. a Christian state. Yeah. It's not how it should work. And every time it, you mix up the state and religion, faith loses. Yeah. Okay, But it is, people of faith are called to be in the public square. Yeah. And we bring what 
the way that our heart has been shaped and molded, I hope we bring that with this attitude of serving. Yeah. I hope at the end of the day people see us and say, well, they didn't get everything right. You know, they messed up you know, their share of things, but they were always trying to get to the right answer, and we were trying to serve in the best way we could. There's something about a faith, and there's so many faiths that do this, but that going back to that humility of we're serving somebody who cares about all these people even more than I'm capable of, and we serve at their behest, yeah. that I think governs a lot of behavior and attitudes behind closed doors. I actually think you just nailed it. And if, you know, forget your politics. If we have people come to office with that sense of like, hey, this isn't really about me, you know, this is about, there's a lot of folks that depend on us, you know. You need government to get your driver's license and maybe you go to a public school. Yeah. But a lot of folks, we're, I mean, if they need mental health help, they're getting it from us. We're their public health agency. If they want to adopt a child, well, keep going, we're it. And so we have this real obligation to provide it with a sense of service instead of a sense of or monopoly getting in line. Yeah, beautiful. Governor, thank you so much no, for your thanks. time. Always fun. JJ, love that guy. Seriously. You worked for a politician in uh, yep. Oregon, right? His name was John Schoon, Representative John Schoon. Yeah, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that from living yep. in Oregon. Yeah, I was a legislative aide and I worked at the Capitol. Like, I got to sit on the floor and that, you want to talk about a superpower of integrity. That man was. Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was one of the most inspirational people to me. He would take me to meetings with lobbyists. I was young. I was like 18, 19. And he would take me to meetings with lobbyists and walk through like what they were saying and the integrity pieces of it. He actually gave me the ability. I wrote some of his speeches that he said from the floor and then he framed them and gave them to me. And it wasn't because they were good. It was because he, he wanted. Knew you wrote them. Yeah. He, well, it he wanted something to you. Yeah, he wanted to show me that I had the ability to make a difference, and he oh, would he would talk to me. We would sit there and talk as people were giving speeches, and he would say that person is not representing their people well, and they're not uh, representing their district. And he would kind of walk me through all of that, and then he understood he was a servant completely. And that's the thing about Governor Haslam; he really understands. And we talked about this in the interview. If you listen, he talked about serving at the mercy of God. Yeah. That God cares about these people way more than you and I are humanly capable of doing. And so we've yeah. just got to serve his interests. Yeah. And his interests is people. Yeah. And you get that feeling with Governor Housen that he's a servant. I think it can be perverted a little bit when you desire power. Yeah. But in order to get into some of these positions, Senate, governor, you know, whatever, president, you have to kind of want and be attracted to power. Otherwise, you're not going to want the position. Yeah. And that's not a negative thing as long as you're using power for good. Yeah. I'd say Governor Haslam, I've met a lot of those folks. Governor Haslam, I would say, I don't sense any desire for power. Yeah. He really wants to serve. It's a yeah. unique thing. Governor, thank you so much for your eight years. You left the state a better place. I'm honored to know you, and I uh, hope more people find out about you and whatever you do next. Governor Lee, welcome to the position. Yeah. We're very excited about your leadership, and we know you're going to do an incredible job. And I love him because he's an entrepreneur who started a company. Yeah. Governor Lee is like every person who listens to this podcast, yes. yeah. except he's governor. Yeah. <laughs> so track his success. He's going to do fantastic. Listen, next week's interview is with Chris Voss. Chris has a best-selling book called Never Split the Difference. He is an FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah, he is. And his book is about how to negotiate. Oh, my god. It was a fascinating conversation. You're not going to want to miss next week's episode. Boy, we're getting 2019 off to a great yeah. start. <laughs> Here's a little clip of my conversation with Chris Voss. Intellectually, I can lay out for you why it's not possible to know what the deal is. It's just not. So you want to get a a rough idea of what a good deal might look like. And then you got to plunge in because it's an asymmetric world, as they say. Uh, It's impossible to have perfect information. Not only is the other side hiding things from you, 
which they are, but they're hiding them because they know they're important. If they're important and you don't know what they are, it's not possible to know what the deal is going to look like until you know what those things are. And that's why it's not possible to know the best deal before you sit down. All right, be sure to tune in next week for the entire conversation. Yeah. I kept wondering if he was playing mind tricks on me while we were in here, but I don't think he was. I think it was just actually having a conversation. Listen, if you haven't bought my book, Building a Story Brand, you want to buy it right now. It is the book that will make marketing easy. It's going to lift the fog. Not only that, it will inspire you to actually do marketing because right now you don't want to because it hasn't worked, but that's why you don't want to. It hasn't worked. If you catch fish when you're fishing, you want to fish a little bit more. Get the book, Building a Story Brand. You can get it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.